Well, amen. Did you enjoy that song? I, 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 lo- I love that song. That, that is one of my favorites. And uh, since the worship arts ministry is my personal jukebox, I just thought I would have them. No, they're not. You know, I rarely ask for a song uh, to be done, but I, I did ask today if they would do that here. And I, I know they did it out at Midlothian also, because I just, I, those two words, even if, man, those are hard words. That, that is an expression of faith and commitment and loyalty to the Lord. Um, unlike about any two words you, you see in the whole of Scripture or, or that you would hear in our own lives. And the reason I ask that that might be sung today is because today we're going to look at the story that those two words come from. We're, we're going to hear the first time those two words were said by, by followers of, of Jesus Christ. And it, uh, it, it is pretty awesome and pretty stirring to see that. We are finishing today, after this long summer, our, our series looking at the letters from Peter. And in these letters, he has encouraged, he's challenged, he's helped you and I to know what it looks like, what it means, how we remain faithful to Christ when it costs. I mean, that's kind of what even if, right? Even if there's a cost, even if I don't see this doing what I anticipated, even if it takes my life to follow Christ, I'm going to follow, right? And, and so Peter has put that out there in front of us this summer. And uh, the last two weeks, uh, last week and today, uh, we're looking at some individual lives in the Old Testament, some of our favorite stories, and we're seeing how they live the principles that Peter gave us. And you remember last week we looked at David. David lived a thousand years before the letters of Peter. Today we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they live five, six hundred years before Peter. How, how can these lives be illustrating something that hasn't been written yet? Well, it's real simple because it's God's truth, not Peter's. And God's truth is always God's truth for all generations, all peoples, all times. And he's always, always revealing his truth to his people to live. Boy, did you think about David any this week? Yeah, a, a little bit. Well, I, I, I think you're going to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in this coming week a whole bunch. You know, I've been in ministry now. Gosh, I'm, com- I'm coming up on three decades. And, and one thing I've noticed over three, de- I mean, a lot changes in that amount of time, right? But, but, I, but I've actually noticed there's a handful of questions that never go away. There, there's a handful of questions that, that people are always dealing with that they'll call, they'll email, they'll come by and say, hey, what, what about this? And one of those questions I, I get a lot, and I, I'm going to guess a lot of you have dealt with this question at some point, is what do I do when somebody over me is asking me to sin? They're, they're asking, they're requiring, it might be a teacher, might be a coach, might be a parent, might be the government. What, what, what do we do when people in authority are asking us to do something we know in God's word is wrong? I mean, that, that's a real situation, isn't it? And as we've gone through the letters of Peter this summer, one of the biggest things he communicated, I mean, like a third of the first letter from Peter is that you and I live lives, we're operating from a life of honor, respect, and obedience. 
And he actually goes through a variety of relationships in our lives and says, hey, you may be suffering, you may be taking it on the chin, but we're always operating from honor, obedience, respect. As a matter of fact, I could, I could use a lot of verses out of 1 Peter as a backdrop, but there's one short, simple verse, I think, that really lays the groundwork for what we're looking at today. 1 Peter 2.13, look at it. For the Lord's sake... Okay, it's, we're doing that for him. It's real important to get that. You're not doing this for your boss. You're, you're not doing this for the government. You're not doing this for a teacher or a coach or for some person that for whatever reason has authority over your life at this moment. You're doing it for the Lord. Submit to all human authority. Now, this particular verse refers to the, the government, but as I said, as you go through First Peter, you're going to see a, a variety of relationships there. For the Lord's sake, submit to all authority. But, but what if that authority asks us to sin? Well, that's what we're going to see today. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And I'm just going to be honest with you, the fastest way to get there may be your table of contents. This one is just buried deep, deep, deep into the Old Testament. Uh, if you find Psalms right there kind of in the middle of your Bible and go to the right, uh, pretty soon you'll be traveling through some real big books, uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then that's where Daniel is, right after Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 3, let me begin reading in verse 1. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And it's set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and to all the provincial officials to come to the dedication. Now, it's, it's called a dedication, right? Come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm looking at my invitation. Okay, because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I thought I was going to like uh, some dedication of some artwork. Now I'm being told to bow down and worship it or else I'm in the wrong place, right? Now, there, there actually is a, a historical context to what is going on here. Uh, there has just been a coup against King Nebuchadnezzar. From within the government, there, there was an uprising to kill him and, and to remove him from leadership. Well, as you can guess, he, he defeated that coup. It was a failed coup attempt. But I'm, I'm guessing when leaders, when there's an attempted coup against you, it makes you a bit sensitive, right? Get a little bit on edge now. And so he puts this event together, basically two things, a show of force and a show of loyalty, he, he gets them all there, and I'm going to show you now the power that I have. I can put you in the furnace right here and right now unless you do what I say. And for all of his officials, it's a chance to, it's a chance to obey and to show their loyalty to the king. 
So let's, let's see what happens. Verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn flutes, their lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. I'm so glad they listed all those out now twice. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Now, there's, a, there's a, just a whole lot going on right here in, in what I just read. Okay, so these officials turn in our, our, our three heroes today, right? Now, this is more than just a, a group of people seeing somebody do something wrong and then they go turn them in. These officials are highly jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they don't trust them, and they've never trusted them. As a matter of fact, we see several instances historically where they are setting up traps where these guys will fail, where they will fall, and they can turn them in. But now, man, look how good God is. We don't even have to set up a trap. Right out of the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar came a law and a consequence and they just failed and right away they go tell on them. Now why, why do they hate these, these three guys so much? Well, the, the, the Jews had been, uh, exiled out of Judah into Babylon. I, I think you've heard me say before in this day and age, the way you kept your empire under control, because you know, you couldn't travel. Uh, the travel wasn't as fast. Communication wasn't as good. So the way you kept people under control is when you conquered a nation, you then scooped up all their people and you carried them over to another nation you conquered. And then you picked up the people of that nation and you took them and you put them over here. Kind of a simple idea. If I keep you out of your language, out of your culture, out of your home, you're just a little off center and you're easier to control. And so that's what has been going on as Nebuchadnezzar is conquering a lot of the known world of that, that time. And when he conquered Judah, he exiled them right to Babylon. Right into the, the, the center of things. And as all these uh, Jews got there, there was a handful of, of teenagers that just really caught the eye. I mean, these guys are smart. They're special. And, and, and the Babylonian government, Nebuchadnezzar began moving them into the finest prep schools and the young managerial program and the young entrepreneurial program and Daniel, Shadrach. Meshach, Abednego, they just kept advancing. They kept getting promoted. And now, really at a pretty young age, they're in these leading governing positions. And all these other leaders are going, what, what, what are you doing? You can't, these are our conquered enemies. You can't put them in these places of leadership. I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? And, and so they've been badgering Nebuchadnezzar. You can't put these guys in these positions. And, and Nebuchadnezzar kind of, put his neck out for him. No, 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 I, I trust him. They're good, man. Whatever they touch turns to gold and, and he just kept advancing them. You know, along the lines of what is going on here, a lot of people will say, where was Daniel? 
What, where's Daniel on, on this day that, that, that this is happening? Why, why isn't he about to be in trouble? Did he, did he bow down? Well, no, you have to remember what's happening. There's, there's been attack against King Nebuchadnezzar from out in his empire. So he has called all these governing officials in. But Daniel was actually a little bit ahead of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was on the royal court of Nebuchadnezzar. So, so Nebuchadnezzar already knew he was loyal. Already knew where he was playing out in this situation. So Daniel probably wasn't required to be there. Plus, if you stop and do the math, if all the governing officials of the empire are all in one place, Nebuchadnezzar had to send a few governing officials out into the world to kind of manage things for this week or two that everybody was in in the capital there. So Daniel more than likely did not need to be tested. Daniel more than likely was not there. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. And, and when they don't bow, boy, it says that Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. Why is he so angry? I mean, you know, kill him. How hard is that? Oh, but remember, he put his neck out for these guys, right? Does it make, start to make sense of some of the emotion he's showing here? He has defended them. He has promoted. This would be, hey, guys, look what I've done for you. And this is how you pay me back? You know, he's already dealing with people defying him. And now people he had promoted, people he had moved along are defying him. He just needs to kill them, right? But he gives them a second chance. Matter of fact, look down there. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. Why? You have to ask the question, why? Listen, you don't bow straight into the fire. There's no court case. There's no second chances. And yet here, Nebuchadnezzar clearly enraged. And yet he gives a second chance. I'll give you a second chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? That's an important question. That question kind of sets up where, where we're going because now, now God is being challenged, right? But why, why does he give him a second chance? I'll tell you why, and I'm not, I'm not imagining, I'm not thinking. We, we know this factually. We know this historically because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived by the principles that were given to Peter from God. Whatever situation you're in, whatever's going on, you be a person that is honorable, respectable, and obedient. You always work the hard, hardest. You always show up on time. You're always loyal. You're always faithful. You always do the very best. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar knows these guys are not his problem. In what he's trying to prove in this moment, he knows that's not what he needs to find out. These are good guys. These are, these, wherever these guys are, I'm in good shape. Wherever, whatever these guys are running, my company, my, my government does better. He doesn't want to see them lose their lives. You, you know, folks, that's really, that's really what we should be like out in, out in the school and the workplace and, and everywhere is, hey, we're always Working the hardest, right? 
We're always honorable. We're always respectful. We're never a part of the conversation about why we hate management, what they're doing wrong. They're all stupid. We're never a part of that. And in time, everybody knows that, right? You know, when we talk about being a church that the 804 can't imagine, that's an exciting idea, isn't it? Heights Baptist wants to be a church that our zip code, our area code, this whole area, they can't imagine being without us. And you know what we will do as a church is we will, over the next 10 years, be bringing together lots of ministries, lots of opportunities, ways that we can go out into our culture and be a force for good so that they can't imagine being without us. And I would say that's about 49% of what will accomplish that. You know what 51% is? It's 2,000 of us leaving here every single Sunday and going out there and living the kindness of God. Going out there and working the hardest, being on time, being faithful, being loyal, never a part of the gossip, never a part of the complaining, just working hard. And there will come times where people say, I don't like Christians, I don't like what they stand for, I don't like what they're a part, let's get rid of all of them. But golly, these ones that work for me are the best I've got. That's what we're talking about when we say 804 can't imagine being without us. Because we leave here. I mean, folks, we'll put together things and a whole bunch of us, but that's one spot. But there's a chance every single Monday morning that the Heights Baptist goes to 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 places. And we live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even when they don't like us, oh, I can't imagine being without them. Right? Isn't that what they're showing us right here? And, and, and so he knows, hey, the, the, these guys are not my problem. That's not who I need to get rid of. Well, let's go on and see how they respond. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's thrown out this question, what, what God will be able to rescue you? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able. Now, I'll tell you something. That'd be a neat Bible study, wouldn't it? It'd be neat sitting over a cup of coffee and talking about what God's able to do, talking about what we believe about our God. Hey, sitting in here, nice air-conditioned church on Sunday morning, let's talk about what God can do. I'll tell you something else. That's a whole other thing to say when you're standing in front of a furnace. I mean, that really, that, <laughs> woo, that's something to say. When you're standing in front of a furnace, our God is able. Do we believe that? Man, yeah, we believe it. We've praised God for it. We've sang it today, but look where we're going. Our God is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, if you thought what they said in verse 17 is awesome, I find verse 18 just highly, I don't even know how to process it. Our God is able. Woo, yes. But even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I'm trying something right there, isn't it? Now, I've, I've been describing these are guys that are honorable, they're respectful, they're, they're, they're obedient. In that statement, we don't have to defend ourselves. Now, that can be said a couple of ways, right? 
I don't have to, I don't have to explain myself to you. You think that's what they're saying? No, what, what they're saying is you're the king. You have a right to make laws and you have a right to decide the consequences for breaking those laws. We've broken the law. There's no defense for it. You can throw us in the fire. Uh, that's not a verse I want to memorize. How about y'all? No, hey, 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 listen. It, it, authority has the right to make the laws and they have the authority to bring about the consequences. Now, what's not written here, but written in a whole lot of other passages, and that leader will stand before God for the law they make and the consequences they bring about. But right here, right now, I, we've got no defense. You're a king, you can make laws, you can make consequences, and, and, and we, we have to follow that. I, I think maybe partly what's going on there too is, hey, king, you know we're not your problem. You, you know we honor you, we respect you, we obey you, and we'll continue to do that if we live. But right now, you've asked us to do something against our God. King, you do realize the reason we honor and respect and obey you is because our God told us to. And now you're telling us to defy that God, and, and that we can't do. Now, we'll answer your question. Our God can absolutely pull us right out of that fire. But, but even if he doesn't. I mean, folks, you realize what they're saying in that? Uh, another way to kind of understand that even if is, I don't need God to do anything. For me to worship him, for me to obey him, for me to follow him. I don't need my God to do anything. Can you say that? I mean, I'll be honest with you, folks, there's a little part of me that says, no, I totally expect God to do something. What is the point of a God if he's not doing something? What, what, if he's not going to rescue me, if he's not going to answer my prayers, if he's not going to give me the trinkets I need and do the tricks I want him to do, what is the point of even having a God? Well, he's still my creator. He's still my only chance for salvation. He is still my judge. He is God, and I'm not, and I never will be. You think, you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego maybe grasps that? He, he's God, period, end of story. Whatever I perceive he's doing or not doing, whether I can explain it or not, whether I like it or not, he is God. We actually believe that. It's not a religion that I do. It is the God I serve. You know what else I think they probably grasp? I think they grasp that being rescued from this fire is not actually the big prize. Eternity is. Eternity is in God's hand. Eternity is a gift that he gives and he has given it to us. And if he rescues us here, super. But have you ever thought of this? You do realize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did go on to die at some point, right? Maybe you don't know the story. You think, well, I thought they were about to die in a few minutes. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm trusting a lot of you do know the story. They still die. You do realize whatever prayer God answers in your life this week, whatever he provides for you, guides, protects, does in your life, you do realize at some point you still die. This life and the answer to your prayers is not the big prize. Isn't that what Peter told us all summer long? 
Hey, listen, whatever you're walking through, going through, keep your eye on the day that Christ is revealed to all the world. Keep your eye on that day that his glory is seen and everybody knows that he is the son of God because that's the day we transition into eternity. I see, the reason I don't have to define God by what I get out of today is because I've already been living for God for what he's doing for me and giving to me out there in the future in eternity. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand there and say, hey, hey, uh, 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 king, your majesty. I mean, they, they, they respect him. They, they speak with respect to him all the way through this. But we don't have to defend ourselves. We have honored and obeyed you. But we can't hear. It, it's not that we're defying you. It's that we're respecting and honoring our God. And they are honoring and respecting what is written in the word of God. Did you know that? Look up here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It says there, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything. You must not bow down to them or worship them. They are obeying the clear written word of God. Now, on this issue, remember, our question is, what about disobeying authorities that are telling us to do something wrong? We need to be careful. We need to be cautious that what we're obeying is the word of God. Because there is a difference between what I feel and what is written in black and white, right? Now, I'm not making small, I'm not making light of your feelings. You and I, we read, we read the word of God and I say, well, you know what? I, I feel like it wants me to do this or I, I feel like it's telling me not to do that. I mean, when you and I read the word, we have to interpret it. We have to apply it. And, and, and man, be faithful to what you're interpreting. Be faithful to what you're applying. But just remember, there is a difference between what you feel God is saying and what is actually being said. So if I'm going to disobey an authority, it better really be clear that I am obeying the authority, right? We, we need to be able to point to it. Folks, we are a witness not to our feelings. We are a witness to God and his word. Does that make sense? And when we obey the authority, and here's the heart. This is the even if we accept the consequences. We, we, we accept the consequences of not obeying That little a authority as we obey the capital A authority. Folks, Peter this summer has not given us how, you know, how to be happy. How how to live your best life now. That's a lie. When people are reducing God and his message down to nothing but your happiness and, and the trinkets and the fun that you have in this world. That so diminishes God and his word. This is not about being happy and having fun. Do you remember what we learned from Peter? This, I mean, remember, the books are about believers that are living in a culture that they're suffering because they follow Christ, because they love Christ. Do you remember what he said to, said to him? Look up here, First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials, no pun intended. You, that's a little bit funny, come on. 
uh, don't be surprised by the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Be glad you're being attacked. Be glad you're about to be thrown into the furnace. Be glad you're getting fired. Be glad you're being made fun of. Be glad you're left on the outside. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Be glad. Folks, listen, this isn't a manual to, to be successful and happy. It is telling us how we survive. And it's saying that Christ is worthy of our suffering. This is about how we endure, how we remain faithful and true to Jesus all the way through whatever we're called to walk through. Why? Because Christ endured for you. We're not the only ones who suffered. Christ suffered. Christ suffered. He suffered for you and he never quit. He never gave up. He never said it's embarrassing to be connected to you. He never said, well, my culture doesn't really accept that person. He never quit on you. He remained faithful all the way to the end. Why wouldn't we be faithful to him? And the crazy thing here is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seem to get it. And do you realize they never met Jesus? Do you realize... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never saw the cross. They never saw the resurrection. I would dare say to you today that you and I have more reason, more evidence, more motivation to say even if than they did. So why aren't we? You know, same thing I said about David last week. Don't don't make these people something spiritually bizarre, weird. I just can't be that. I can't do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are no different from any person in this room. They enjoy a good meal. I guarantee you. I'll guarantee you it felt good to get promoted. When does it not feel good to get promoted? When does it not feel good to be seen for your abilities and skills and and, and to be advanced? You know what? They, just like everybody in this room, I, I I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to look different from everybody else, weird and, and, and thought evil of them. I, hey, listen, I like to go along and get along just like everybody else. They're exactly the same way, except that the king, the culture, had now asked them to cross God's word. And for them in that, they had no choice. Do we? Do I have a choice? When the culture says, no, we don't think like that anymore, do I have a choice? They had no choice. So let's see what happens. Verse 19. King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, the the furnace they're talking about here is a brick kiln, K-I-L-N, a a, a brick kiln. It it might be as long as as the aisle here, maybe even about that wide. I don't know how tall, six, eight, ten feet. There'd be like what you and I would probably think of as windows on the side. Those would be flues for air to, to pass through. And, and, and build the heat. And, and when he says here, you know, heat it seven times hot, you, you, you know there's not like a thermostat on the outside, right? It don't, don't quite have that yet. So when he says heat it seven times hotter, they have no real way of measuring or controlling that. He's just saying get it as hot as it will go. And we know these things on average, they're usable. They work up to about 1,500 degrees. So we know it's at least 1,500 degrees. I mean, we're talking about you get too close and just you know, combustion, right? You know, so when you're cooking that, that marshmallow over the campfire and it's getting that perfect light brown, 
But you're so impatient, right? And you know, I can fit the marshmallow between that red glow, right? I'm just gonna, and you get it, and, and, and now it's charcoal. Okay, the, the, look right, right here. Here it is, verse 20. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Remember, this is a big governing event. They're there in all their regalia, all fancy, about to be dressed up. Verse 22, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So the miracle has begun. Just the fact they're still alive as they're being thrown in because the soldiers that brought them near, just they're just like that marshmallow. They're gone. Charcoal. Just, just like that. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Uh, yeah, you're mad. Can you imagine? They say, yeah, you're mad. They're watching their friends that just combusted into flames. I mean, I think everybody's pretty nervous right now, don't you? This is just a really hot moment. <laughs> oh, that was good. I, I didn't even plan that. That's just, that's just pure skill right there. Okay. Uh, now I lost my place in the Bible again. There we go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, verse 24. Y- yes, your majesty, we certainly... I was hilarious. Yes your, yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, he shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire and harm. And the fourth looks like a god. Now, I, th- I think we all know, we, we know who's in the fire with them, don't we? Uh, hold on. The scripture does not say that God was in the fire with them. It records that Nebuchadnezzar said, looks like the fourth dude is a god. What does a god look like? I don't know, but whatever was in Nebuchadnezzar's imagination, that dude looks like him. The scripture's not saying God is in the fire. The scripture's saying that's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Let's keep reading. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. I guess he's had a change of heart. Yeah, that would do it for me. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high... Now, by, by the way, aren't you right now thinking, I have just seen something incredible? I mean, if I'm there, I'm telling this story for the rest of my days on this earth. I'm going to tell my kids about it. I'm going to tell my grandkids about it. I, just the fact they walked out, I'm done. I'm good. I, I've seen the best thing I've ever seen in life. I don't need the details that I'm about to get to be in awe. But let's read those details. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and they saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Would you have thought any less miracle if it had been? I wouldn't. Their hair hair was not singed. Their clothing was not scorched. And my favorite line in the whole story, they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. Folks, when God does a miracle, it's perfect. It's perfect. When God pulls them out of the fire, they don't even smell like smoke. And you know what? When God pulls you out of the fire of your sin, when he pulls you out of the fire of death, when he pulls you, praise God, for the fire of hell, you won't smell like sin. You won't smell like guilt. You won't smell like condemnation. You will smell like the glory of heaven. 
Because God's heaven, God's miracles are perfect. Praise God. Holy cow. They don't even smell like smoke. Let's just go home. I'm finished. Shoot. Man. No, I got to finish. Verse 28. Then, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise God. I bet he did. I'll bet he did. Praise God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel. Now, what, did you notice what just happened? He said, for, oh, he looks like he's a God. Now he's changed it. I, I think that was God's angel. Again, the scripture didn't say it was a God. The scripture didn't say it was an angel. The scripture is recording what Nebuchadnezzar thinks is going on. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to... I'd rather die. You know, if you don't believe in heaven and you don't believe in eternity, then there's no even if. I'd rather die than serve or worship any God except their own. I, I, I just would rather die than serve any other God. So yeah, last week I said David beating Goliath was not a miracle. Uh, just to be clear, that is. <laughs> right? That, that straight up right there is a, a miracle. There's, there's no explaining this. It defies logic. It defies science. That's what a miracle does. It supersedes the laws of nature. It supersedes what is normal. So there, there's nothing to explain here. There, there is a miracle. Now, who's, who's the fourth guy, right? Who's the fourth guy? I was always told it was Jesus. And pastor up there just said it wasn't Jesus. No, I, I, I didn't say that. We, we want to be true and accurate, not to our feelings, to what Scripture actually said. The Scripture does not tell us who it is. Now, I, I think there's two options of who it is, and I think Nebuchadnezzar landed on both of those options. One option is it's an angel. And do you know throughout the Old and New Testament, we have stories of angels that go into these exact kind of situations sent by God to minister to a believer or a group of believers to, to protect them, to guide them through and, and guide them out of that situation. So it very much could be an angel. The, the other option is that it's God. And to be more specific, I believe it's Jesus Christ because the Old Testament shows us a number of places, about half a dozen. There's about half a dozen stories where there is this figure that comes from heaven and seems to have God-like qualities, seems to receive praise. You know when angels are praised? Because angels are pretty awesome to look at. And every time they're praised, they immediately stop and say, my God, don't stop that. Don't do that. Okay. So angels, but this character will receive praise. This character has the power of God, seems to have the abilities of God, but then we'll see this character turn and have a conversation with the Lord in heaven. Well, wait a minute, what's how can the Lord be talking to the Lord? Well, what the Old Testament gives us is the groundwork for what the New Testament is going to come along and fill in the blanks of what we call the Trinity. The, the, the teaching of the New Testament of the Trinity is not a contradiction to the Old Testament. There's one God. Yet, no, the Jews did not have a concept of the Trinity. They did not believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It was just, just God for them. But the Old Testament doesn't contradict the New Testament teaching on that. It, it shows us that. 
And, and so this is the pre-incarnate, before flesh, before Bethlehem, because the scripture teaches that Jesus is from eternity to eternity. He did not have a beginning. He did not start in Bethlehem. He always existed. We say, what was he doing? He was meeting Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo in the fire. That's what he was doing. I believe with all my heart that is, that is, uh, that is Jesus right there. That is not what the scripture says. I have to look at that and think about what's going on. What other things does scripture show me? And I believe that to be Jesus. But the scripture doesn't tell us. As a matter of fact, one of the things I find so incredibly dissatisfying about this story is that we don't hear one word from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you notice that? I mean, I kind of like to hear what they thought about the whole thing. Was it hot? Who's the fourth guy? What did he say? Did he bring Gatorade? I mean, what, wouldn't you like to hear anything from them? Not one word. Why? Because we don't need it. There's a point that God, there's a reason that God showed up and did what he did right here. We got what we need. God's done. Take that and learn from it. Well, yeah, but what I really want to know, you got what you need. I don't know why we don't have that, but God has given us what we need. So, what we know is we've got a great God. He's worthy of you and I taking a great stand for him. And every time we do, we're going to see a miracle. Look up here at Hebrews chapter 11. But others, it wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Others were tortured Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. If you don't believe in heaven, there's no even if. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Others, their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, and some were sawed in half. You know, I I don't actually want to die for my faith in Christ, do you? I mean, I don't. And I certainly don't want to, I mean, if that's going to happen, I, I, gosh, Lord, could it be like really super quick? I mean, I don't want to be tortured. I don't know why, but that, that, I don't want to die anyway that involves torture. But that being sawed in half thing, Wow. Hey, Lord, you are real. (laughs) This is about to hurt. They were sawed in half. Gosh, Lord, why, why didn't you show up for the ones that were sawed in half the same way you did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And God would answer that question. I did. They're eternity with me now. God is always faithful. And he will faithfully use his power to rescue you and I. Sometimes it may be in one of those temporary moments. Because it was just temporary that he rescued them from the fire, right? They, they ultimately did still die. Our big problem is not somebody throwing something at us or getting sawed in half. And boy, I say that with fear and trepidation. That's not our big problem. Dying and going into a Christless eternity is our problem. Dying and going into fire, not for a moment but for all eternity. Where the fire is so hot, Jesus says it's just eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God in his faithfulness and his power will rescue you from that if you have laid hold of Jesus as your Savior. 
I'm already past the time, but let's, I, I do want to make sure we answer the question, what do I do, what do, I do when somebody is asking me to send somebody that I'm, I'm supposed to respect? Look up here, I've got four points. I think these four points are pretty, pretty clear. Maybe if you gave me a specific situation, uh, a specific request, a specific person, I, I might look to some other passages and, and have some more insight. But I think these four points will, will pretty clearly point us to what we do when somebody over us asks us to do something that is a sin. Number one, operate from a history of honoring and obeying. That's what Peter taught us. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed us. Work harder than anybody else. Be on time. Don't ever be apart. There's just no value in running things down. Zero. Doesn't change a thing. It just makes you a part of the work of the devil. That's not saying that the the boss or whoever's not wrong and hasn't done something wrong. It's just saying God never, ever, 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 not once has he worked through grumbling and complaining. So don't don't ever, when, when, when that's what everybody's doing, just walk away. Go get coffee somewhere else. Don't be a part of that group. Well, well, the boss will never know I was a part of it. No, they never maybe know in that moment, but somewhere it always, we always get figured out, don't we? Always be a part of being positive, being hardworking, being on time, giving your very best effort. Be obedient as far as you can go. That's exactly what we heard in 1 Peter. Number two, be respectful in presenting your challenge. You know, hey, maybe we need to pray, God, give me, give me wisdom here, how I can kind of keep front and center, how I really do want to obey, how I really do want to respect. They're, they're, just give me this, how do I walk this line where maybe I don't do this one thing? But then sometimes, as we just saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's, there's not that line, and you're going to have to present some, hey, this is not something I can do. Man, I pray for wisdom, how you do that respectfully, how you do that rightly. I think when you look at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, your majesty, your majesty, your majesty, your king, you can do as you will. They respected his authority. They respected the consequence that would come from their authority. Somebody might say, well, they, they publicly humiliated him. Yeah, but they didn't set that table, did they? We do. Oh, man, if somebody wrongs us today, straight to social media, right? I mean, not I, you hurt me, I'm going to make sure the whole world knows how bad you are, how bad your product is, how bad your place is. You know, I will now destroy you because you've made me uncomfortable. They did not look to, they didn't set the, the table for a public showdown. King Nebuchadnezzar set that table. And it seemed like even in that, they were kind of quiet in the back scenes. I mean, he didn't know, did you notice? He didn't notice the first time they didn't bow. Somebody had to go and tell on them. So I don't think they're looking for a big showdown. Number three, be sure it is God and Scripture directing you, right? Let me say it again. We are a witness of God and His Word, not our feelings, thoughts, and opinions. I'm not saying your feelings, thoughts, and opinions are wrong. I'm saying you're not a witness to your feelings, thoughts, and opinions. You're a witness to God and His Word. Lastly, number four, trust the Lord with the consequences And in that, accept them. Boy, I'm sure hoping, I'm sure believing that none of us are going to be dealing with a furnace anytime soon. I I, I don't think that's where we are yet in America. I mean, you realize what we read today has gone on through all of human history all over this planet. It's very real that people die by the millions for following Christ. That's That's not really us yet, is it? 
But do you know what? If you decide that obeying God and following Christ is the most important thing in your life and that you'd rather die, you can lose a boyfriend. You can be dropped from first first string to third string. And you absolutely 100% today in 2018 America lose your job for that. But he's still God, right? Even if. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, I pray that for each of us, we're, we're thinking through and we'll think through and we'll come to that place of, of faith and understanding that you're, you're God no matter what. You're God regardless of what I see you doing or understand that you're doing or like what you're doing. You're still God. More importantly, you're still my Savior. God, I believe a lot of us in here right now are just filled with gratitude that you pulled us out of the fire of sin and death and hell and there is no stench of guilt, no stench of condemnation. There is no stench of, of, of the evil that, that used to be on us, but we, we smell of the glory of heaven. Oh God, I smell of the glory of heaven because you are good and because you are kind. Oh, Lord, I pray that, that I will respond by being so proud, so grateful to belong to you, to live for you, to follow your word. May I, may I answer the call of Christ. May we answer the call of Christ that said, don't ever be ashamed that you belong to me. Lord, may we not be ashamed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.